Welcome everyone to Authors on the Air. I'd like to introduce my friend, Gavino Iglesias. Presentamos, no, presentamos. <laughs> Mi amigo actor, Gavino Iglesias. His new book is called The Devil Takes You Us Home. Here we go. Let me put it in front of my face. The Devil Takes You Home. Gavino, welcome to Authors on the Air. You've been a guest and a guest host on this show. I'm happy yes. that it's you and I sitting down together. Um, we were just discussing your book tour. So yeah. you've gone, you know, traveled a little bit around the southeast, Southwest and the West. Have you been enjoying yourself? I've been having a blast. Uh, meeting readers has been awesome. Uh, this is my first time also talking to booksellers, which is like they're on their own breed. They're yes. really special, unique people. Uh, and, and I've been shaking hands and, and signing books and uh, learning the ropes because I've never had an, an official tour before. So this, is, this has been a lot of fun. What are booksellers telling you? booksellers are are selling me absolutely everything every time that we go there it starts the conversation starts with my book uh because they enjoyed it and want to talk about it and we easily just start talking about everybody else on their shelves because as soon as i walk in um i start spotting friends and i'm like have you read this and then they're they've always read everything <laughs> they're very passionate and they really want to talk about of everything they've been reading so it uh it's an easy transition out from like i really enjoyed your book and then it's awkward because what else can you say except thank you for making my day and, and thank you for having me here and then immediately you just start talking about somebody else which is um is much better uh but yeah they're they're uh they're their own breed i think hand selling books it's a uh, is an art form. Uh, but I, I invite everybody. Um, I know you click on your phone or, or your computer and, and Amazon or, or um, uh, you know, Barnes and Noble or even a bookshop, which I encourage everyone to use. Uh, sure. We'll have those books delivered to you, but we'll, you don't know exactly what you want, but you know what kind of mood you're in. Uh, drop by your local indie and talk to a, a bookseller. Tell them this is the last thing that I enjoyed. Um, and you will spend probably the next 30 minutes talking about uh, books and you'll walk home with with a stack of books. So apologies to your wallet, but do that <laughs> and, and support your local indies. <laughs> but it's a great place to spend your money no matter what. Yes. <laughs> your book has been called a genre bending book. It um, And I'm particularly fascinated by it because as you and I were talking in the green room, uh, I grew up in Miami where there's a heavy Hispanic influence. Right. And there's a lot of myths and cultural identities um, around being Hispanic that a lot of gringas and gringos don't quite understand. <laughs> um, so did you pull a lot of that into your writing when you decided to write The Devil Takes You Home? I, th I think uh, I've been doing that since Zero Saints, and it had a lot to do with uh, moving away from, from the Caribbean and, and starting to live in the U.S. Like, uh, I was aware of the existence of, of racism, but everyone in Puerto Rico is a different color. It's just yes. like Cuba or, 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 you know, the Dominican right. Republic. Um, and, and if someone pretends not to be of color, then we have uh, our, our national question is, which means, where's your grandma? Like, right. if you're going to pretend that you're white because you've got green eyes, show me your grandma, and then we can talk about cultural heritage and, and uh, <laughs> different colors. Um, and then uh, religion was more or less the same thing uh, because uh, the, the Caribbean is, is heavily uh, syncretic. Uh, again, Cuba, Jamaica, Puerto Rico, the Dominican yes. Republic. Um, 
and the the weirdness, quote unquote, of having uh, a Jewish family next to a Christian family, next to a Catholic family, next to a, a family that practices voodoo or Santeria or Palomayombe or Mesa Blanca or, you know, any other of the, of the Caribbean religions. Um, it wasn't really a thing for me until I moved here. And I realized that, as I said, there's that's weird. Uh, and, and so we don't really argue about religion back home because whatever you want to believe, whatever Orisha you want to pray to um, or may, you know, offer your, your, your sacrifices to, it's fine. Everybody's right. Let's not fight about it. Right. Um, when I moved here, that kind of changed. So I wanted to bring that in, the fact that um, everybody believes in, in, in different things. So that whole thing, one nation under God, it's like we need to pluralize that because there's a lot of gods. Lot of gods. Right. Um, I agree with you. And uh, I, I like to bring those in. I like to let them party and, and do their own thing and, and sort of try to bring that that syncretism to the page um, where, where folks can be, you know, firm believers in God and then there's other things that they might do that don't don't quite fall under what people in, in this country would do if they're a Catholic or, or a Christian um, and they go regularly to church. So it was a world that I wanted to um, I wanted to celebrate because I, I, I was missing it since the day I moved here and it became apparent that uh, having that diversity and that complexity and that richness, um, I didn't know it was something that I was going to miss. So I uh, in, in 2015 with. Um, Zero Saints, I said, let me start bringing in like the cult to the, the Virgen de Guadalupe, the cult uh, uh, to Santa Muerte, uh, the Orishas, Voodoo, Santeria. Let me just bring it in and mix it and make it really uh, as interesting as possible. Um, you did the same in Coyote songs too. You, yeah. you, you've, um, and by the way, folks who are listening, it's not Coyote, it's Coyote. We <laughs> 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 really don't know what the word is. I, I'm, it always cracks me up when I hear that. But again, when you come from a, a Hispanic community, you learn how to say some words. Um, Gabino, tell us how this book came about. Did, was this an idea floating around in your mind all the time? Uh, I don't even know how you're inspired except for by your, like you were talking about your Caribbean roots and all. Tell us about what inspired this book and how you got started on it. Yeah. Um, first, uh, I, I think the book uh, uh, Coyote Songs has morphed over the years because yes. I, I wrote it and I live in Texas. So it's Coyote Songs. It's coyote songs, and because I live in the South, it's also coyote songs. Uh, so, <laughs> it's a, whichever pronunciation people prefer is fine by me. <laughs> um, it's as long as, long as they're reading it, call it what you want. That's right. It's the book. <laughs> it's the book. Um, right. No, uh, I had a, I had Mario's story uh, circling around in my head probably since 2016. Um, I was, I was, it was, I think some of my, my, uh, really hard time transitioning out of being a TA for, uh, teaching assistant at the University of Texas at Austin and, uh, being fired from the, from the Austin post and, uh, just trying to do the, um, what folks refer to now as the gig economy. Uh, sure. no one in the gig economy has, uh, health insurance. Right. Uh, it's, it's not a thing. It's just, you do it for the money. Uh, you have no packages, no vacation, no no anything, sure. um, and then um, it, it it just kept percolating. And as the um, 
as the, uh, the the two years, 2018 to 2020, I started telling this story. Uh, but I was teaching four classes in high school full time. I did have health insurance because it was a school. Um, you know all about that. Uh, and then um, in uh, March of 2020, as the pandemic was raging, uh, I was notified that come August, I didn't have a contract. It was too weird. No one knew how things were going to translate yes. to online teaching. Uh, so I was I was in that group of people that was just let go. And uh, I spent about two months panicking, uh, uninsured as the pandemic, you know, raged across yeah. the world. Um, it was not a, a, a perfect time to look for jobs. <laughs> uh, everybody was in the same boat. Right. Everybody right. was losing their, their job. Like right. people who worked at stores, the, the folks in the service industry, um, a whole bunch of educators that I know also lost their jobs and they were scrambling to see what they did. Um, and suddenly it was not just like my situation uh, you know, working six or seven or 10 jobs in five years and not, and, and being uninsured all the time and having to procure my, uh, my uh, antibiotics for people who dabbled in other chemicals. And, right. and uh, those, those stories were not, it wasn't really about me at that point. It was like, wow, someone, every single morning I woke up and I read a story about someone who caught COVID and now owed, you know, $300,000 uh, sure. medical, medical bills. Um, and they were uninsured. And so the more I looked into that, it was like, all right, so we got people dying for things that they could take care of with a, a pill a day, but they don't have that. They, they can't get it. They can't afford their insulin. Like it's a battle. It's an ongoing battle. Um, and that made me very angry. And so that drove uh, the, the, the next 65,000, um, words of the book i was i was angry at racism because we'd had a lot of that uh in the previous years i was i was angry at a lot of things and suddenly i was home and we were supposed to stay home and i had no job so i woke up in the morning and it was what do i do with this time to feel like i'm not you know a waste of human skin let me write that novel let me put it all out on the page and that uh you know a lot of crime writers and and, and writers of dark stuff you know for us uh, including you that's uh it's therapeutic it's, it's like going to therapy like you put it all out on the page yes um and you walk around a little lighter for the rest of the day um and the um obviously i had i, I wanted it to be barrio noir which is a, a mixture of crime fiction and horror fiction with right. elements of, of magical realism um there was a lot of things that I wanted to talk about. I, I lost a chunk of my soul working the phones at a life insurance company uh, for almost two years. Wow. I wanted to talk about that. So I threw that in the book and, and uh, I had done a lot of, you know, driving around. So I wanted to celebrate the South and, and small, small towns across the South. So I threw that into the book and it became just everything that I was thinking and, and feeling at the time just went into the book. And uh, it was sort of like that last Hail Mary um, I need to make this one work. Um, and it was the one that worked. It was the one that I landed an agent for, and it was the one that sold at auction. And it was the one that, uh, allowed me to start transitioning from, um, let me not go into indeed anymore and look for right. eggs. Uh, <laughs> let me keep doing my teaching and my MFA teaching and, uh, and try to pull this thing off of, of, uh, being a writer, which is a, it's a weird gig. Uh, not, not a lot of us get to do it. Um, you know, quote unquote, full time. So, uh, so would you say this is your most personal book to date? 
I'd say so. Yes. Uh, I think um, a series of things was a lot of me, you know, trying to understand the, the, the border and, and the situations that I was, uh, that I was living as, uh, uh, you know, you're in Florida, which is very different. You all know that Venezuelans exist, that Cubans exist. Right. Uh, in Texas, if you're, if you're, if you have a name like mine or you're Brown or you speak Spanish, you're immediately Mexican. Uh, so it was, <laughs> there's Even no the languages are so different. So that's, it's right. just crazy. I know. Um, so uh, it, it was a lot of that. And then uh, I think with this one to bring Mario, making Puerto Rican, talk about Puerto Rico. Um, it, it was me doing two things. The next novel takes place back home. So I wanted to start transitioning to, to writing about, about home. Um, and it was also about that thing where when we talk about borders, we tend to think about um, undocumented workers and, and, and undocumented migrants. Um, and in this case, it was like, all right, so here's someone going through most of the same things who has a blue passport uh, with an eagle on it and an American citizenship, right? Um, and, and I wanted to talk about that. I wanted to talk about that middle of the road otherness where it's like you go to a job interview and they ask you if you need uh you know uh what's it called uh, a work visa or a, something a sp or sponsorship, sponsorship yes yeah. <laughs> uh, will you require sponsorship if you no i do i'm an american citizen yeah. um so i wanted to do that i wanted to keep uh exploring the the world of, of spanglish which you know New York, Chicago, Boston, Miami, Texas, we wherever have you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so everywhere you go in this country, it's uh, it's there. And uh, I was I was lucky that my editor, Jish Kendall, uh, he was on board with it. He said, I know you don't do italics and I'm all for it. Um, let's do that. And uh, yeah, I would call it my most uh, personal one to date. So you've already written the next one? Next one uh, is done. It's, uh, it's, I mean, done. What is done? There's a draft right. of it. Your draft is done. <laughs> and now we'll spend probably the next half year trying to turn it uh, into something that can be published. Uh, and, uh, but yeah, it's done. And so um, we're moving on to the next one. So I want to ask you, what does it feel like at the beginning of your writing process? Are you anxious? Are you excited? With this book, you were ticked off. I mean, you were really angry. And that motivated you. Is it different for each book that you write? The anger is like the, the you know, it's the base. <laughs> I'm always angry. I, I wake up. I, I'm a journalist by training. Right. I try to keep up with the news. Uh, so in this country, that means waking up and, you know, screw Ted Cruz and screw Greg Abbott and right. screw the Supreme Court and screw everybody. And just the list just goes on and on and on. And you're angry at everybody and, and, and everything. Um, and then the, the rest of the stuff comes in. Like this one was um, the, the, uh, the beginning of the next book was I think every writer sort of grows. You, you try to grow. I don't think anybody starts out being great. This business is not about being great. Writing is about constantly getting better. Um, and uh, when I was in high school, one of my good friends, uh, his mother was was murdered while working the door um, at a club. Uh, and she was she was a victim of a drive by and she was shot in the face. And I knew back then that at some point I was going to write about that. But I never felt like I had the chops. It, it felt like a lack of respect uh, to try to to fictionalize that as the beginning of a novel. Um, and, and after writing this one and the, uh, working with two editors on it and, and realizing that my writing had gone better since I, I don't know, 
year 2000. I was like, all right, so I waited enough. Uh, it's time to tell that other story. Um, and then those stories just sort of, I have a head full of stories like like most writers, like, like you do. Um, and then I think once in a while, one of those emerges to the top and kind of demands, this is the one that you have to tell now. It's interesting, um, yeah. And, uh, and Although and, I'm a reader, not a writer. I mean, I can barely get out an email that's spelled correctly. So, <laughs> <laughs> you may have noticed, but, yeah. <laughs> but, but I do read. And, and I wanted to say, I understand what you're saying about watching the news, which is why for 18 years, I've not had a television. So, that's a good move. Yeah. yeah. And, and I don't hold anything against anybody who has a television. It's just that I'm a news junkie. And I thought, oh, I'd have that thing on, on all day long and probably be slashing myself. You know, I'd be cutting myself, yeah. having to watch the news all the time. So instead, as you see, I read, <laughs> you know, I read point. a lot. So um, how do you feel when you finish your book? Always scared, insecure. Uh, there's always the thought that it's crap. Um, it's a, I, I wrote 100,000 words and it's probably garbage. Uh, and then it's, I, I don't think I've learned to celebrate things yet. I'm working on that. I promise I'm working on that, but it's sort of, all right, so this one's out. Great. I need to turn in the next one. It needs to be better. And then once I did that draft, it was like, okay, that's done, but now I have to edit it. I have to, I have to make it good. I have to make it real good. So I can be better than the next one. Um, and I know that the moment that I finished the last edit for, for that one, it'll be like, I only had a two book contract. Like now I'm done. What, what did I do enough to, to be able to sell the next one? Like what's next? Yeah. There's always, uh, there's no making it. I, I, I've never understood that concept. Like wherever you, you climb to the top of a mountain, the first thing that you see is all the peaks around you, right? Like if you right, climb right. Everest, you're surrounded by other peaks. Right, um, right. So it's always, you know, I did this one thing, uh, what's next? What, what can I do now? How do I, uh, I talked to Josh Mylerman is, is a good friend and a really great, right, you dude. interviewed Josh on the yeah, show. I interviewed him here yes, yes. and, and, uh, talking to him, you know, how you sometimes talk to people and it finally allows you to put into words what you've been feeling. Um, and I told him, this is kind of like getting into the NBA because everyone dreams about playing professional sports. And then you get there what you going to do now? You better make it to the playoffs on your first year. You better win a champ. You better do something because right, right. uh, there's a lot of people pushing. Um, and, and a lot of people want that same, that, that, that same opportunity, but can you maintain, like, what are you going to do to, to show the sure. world that you've earned this opportunity? Uh, and, and the moment we signed that contract, I was like, yes, crap. <laughs> uh, what, what, do I, what do I have to do now? <laughs> so it was, um, yeah, he, uh, he, he joked about making a, uh, uh, a t-shirt that, that called it the, uh, oh, hell yeah, fuck moment. Right. Uh, so it's, it's like that. It's, I, I haven't learned to, um, celebrate anything because I'm worried about what's next. What do I have to do now? <laughs> do you think that most writers are insecure? about All what's going to happen next everyone <laughs> yeah uh, imposter yeah. syndrome hack syndrome insecurity <laughs> no, uh, no matter how many times how well the book sells there's always the fear that yeah. it, the next one may not sell is that yes. it yeah and i think if they have enough books out they've experienced it like sometimes you see a a, a novelist that can put new york times best selling author on a cover 
And then you go back and you realize, yeah, that was three, four, five books ago. Like that was the one. And then the other ones have done well and they've built a career out of it. Uh, but it's a very rare, you know, the perennials like Stephen King. He puts right, a right. book out. It's going to be a New York Times bestseller. Sure. Uh, but for for the normal, for the mortals, uh, it's kind of like you don't you don't know how, how it's going to be received, uh, how it's going to perform. I want to talk about your other your other professions. You are a, a reviewer. You um, also you review for quite a few big outlets. For example, we were talking about our mutual friend Rob Hart. You review for NPR. Who else do you review for? Uh, big ones, uh, NPR, Boston Globe, uh, San Francisco Chronicle. Um, and I think those are the, the big ones. Then it's Locus Magazine, uh, Mystery Tribune, Volume 1 Brooklyn, um, Horror DNA, uh, a bunch of others. Do you to... enjoy that part of it? Do you enjoy the reviewing? I love it. I love it. Uh, I realized many years ago that I couldn't... Um, I couldn't get anyone to pay me for my own writing, but I could get folks to pay attention or pay me 10 bucks to write about somebody else's book. Um, and I'm always going to be talking about other people's work anyway. Uh, so this was sort of a, it was sort of a trick to first get books for free. It's like a superpower. I write sure. an email and I, I mentioned those three. It's like, this is Gabino with like NPR, Boston Globe, San Francisco Chronicle. Could you please send me this galley? Uh, right. And you know, you have a galley in your hands. You know, it's a beautiful thing. You get books for free. It, um, it is my superpower too. Yeah. I get 20 exactly. bucks a week. So <laughs> I understand that. Yeah. And it's a, uh, it's, it's a great gig. Uh, it's, it's an opportunity to, to, to shine the light on, on other folks. Uh, in, in later years, in the last three or four years, I've, I've switched to, if I really hate it, uh, I might write to an editor and turn down writing a review because I think uh, no author needs help not selling books. Like we manage yeah. not selling books very well on our own. We don't need help right. with that. Right, right. Um, and also I don't pitch, um, I love Stephen King. I, I don't pitch Stephen King or, or you know, Michael Connolly or any of those folks, because they don't need my help. They don't need that spotlight anymore. Right. Uh, they're not struggling to pay the bills. They're not trying to get their careers of, of the ground. Right. Um, and so what I do is like women, uh, members of the LGBTQ community, writers of color, Appalachian writers, uh, right. work in translation, uh, work from, from smaller presses or indie presses. Um, let me try to pitch those things and, and try to get um, people to, to let me talk about that in, in a lot of venues. Um, and that makes me happy. It's, it's sort of like, I think I see this part of, of, of uh, the writing community. Uh, reviews have been around for a very long time. Yeah. Um, and I think they still matter. That's why you I have. Well, I think Amazon changed that too. Amazon and Goodreads, changed this, yes. <laughs> so that you, you almost have to write a review. And it, it, it's the conundrum of I've purchased your book and I've supported you that way, but now right. you want me to go and write a review. And a lot yeah. of people are very hesitant to do that. They don't know how to write a review. So it's hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so how do you balance that? How much do you owe to the author once you've purchased their book? Do you owe them a review? No, but would it be nice if you are comfortable doing right. a review? Of course it would be. It would be lovely. Yeah. Because that's what drives the engine, so to speak. That's the fuel yeah. for the engine anyway. Um, Gabino, when you got your PhD, did it change your writing at all? 
Not at all. Um, I don't think I would have gotten a PhD if I knew back then what I know now. Um, I think I was too deep into my, and I'm not going to say this because it's a hot topic, but I, I was, I was too deep into my, um, my student loans to not go forth and, and finish it at least and, and get that piece of paper to make it all worthwhile. Um, I didn't want to pursue um, a, a PhD-ish career. I did not want to move every two to three years. I didn't want to go to like Nebraska and then, you know, Oklahoma right. and then move to California and uproot myself um, every two years. And I did not want to spend all my writing time um, just working on uh, academic peer-reviewed journal articles that no one's going to read except like right. 12 to 20 people that care about the same topics. Right. Um, so I was, uh, while trying to get my PhD, I managed to publish zero peer-reviewed academic journal articles. Uh, and I published um, Gutmouth, Hungry Darkness, Serious Saints, and Coyote Song. So I had four books out while, while trying to get my PhD. So any writing time was, I did my papers, I, I got through my classes, I wrote my dissertation, uh, but writing time was, it was for fiction, uh, and and I tend to joke yeah. now that I've had, I've had stayed in in academia. Right now, I can put up a joke on Twitter, and within three hours, ten times more people will see that tweet than they people would have read an, an academic article. For me. Exactly, so. I get you completely. <laughs> so, speaking of your love of other writers, um, whose book is on your nightstand right now? My nightstand right now. Uh, mm -hmm. Who are you reading? Because I, I, I read like 20, 20 books at the same time. Yeah, um, I did rereading re re uh, Amina Akhtar's uh, Kiss Met because we just did an, an event together in, in Scottsdale, um, and I wanted to I wanted to read about those those you know blackbirds again and, and talk to her about those. Um, I am finishing, and I'm I'm on a blank on their names. But I started a book two days ago. Uh, it's a nonfiction book that I'm reviewing, and it is the history of the world told through body parts. Uh, so they will pick a, a specific moment in time. Um, you know, for example, Cleopatra's nose, and they will tell you that entire chunk of time in about four pages, uh, based on how noses were were seen in. in a, ancient egypt okay. and you have to send me the title you yeah. have to text me the title it sounds I'll, amazing uh, oh hold on <laughs> hey look we can do this um because i i try to keep track um on my phone so i know when uh when deadlines are coming up uh, it's a long title it's titled a history of the world through body parts the stories behind the organs appendages <laughs> digits and the like attached to or detached from famous bodies by Catherine and Ross Petras. Um, so I, I imagine that title grabbed your attention right away. <laughs> yes. As soon as they say body parts, I'm like, chopped there up you body go. parts. You're, you're there with it. Uh, yeah. Right. Um, I just, uh, I just reviewed uh, another nonfiction book. I'm not broken by, by Jesse Leon, which was a, a in his words, a, sad, drug-addicted, sexually abused Chicano kid, and how he went from that to being a Harvard graduate. Um, I'm reading, I'm finishing uh, Isabel Cañas' uh, The Hacienda, 
which is very spooky and uh, entertaining to read. And uh, what else am I reading? Um, I just finished uh, two books, uh, Michael Seilinger's Anybody Home, because we did an event here together in, in Austin, and I love that, and uh, Nat Cassidy's Mary, which is very dark and very complex and very, uh, very creepy, and it has, he, he he tells a very unique story, but at the same time, if you think dark horror fiction is your, your cup of tea or your comfort food, in my case, you can go through a checklist and go like, all right, so voices, check, uh, uh, you know, ghosts, check, serial killers, check, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, mental things that might not be there, uh, you know, surreal darkness, check. Um, so Mary is also very good. And I'll leave it at that because if not, I will open up Goodreads and then. And there you go. The and there's interview. all the books. I, yeah. I know what you're saying. Um, Gavino, tell everyone where they can find you on the web, social media. What's your favorite medium to communicate with your friends and readers with? None of them because the world is full of trash people. And I think social media kind of <laughs> exacerbates that. Yes. Uh, but I'm always talking books on Twitter because it's so fast and so friendly and, uh, I've made it my home. I'm on uh, Facebook too, along with all of your racist uncles uh, sharing memes. We're, we're on there too. Uh, it's uh, it's Gabino uh, underscore Iglesias. Uh, and I don't talk politics and I don't talk books much, uh, but I'm on Instagram because I'm a photographer and I love to put up uh, images on there. So okay. come find me and, and we can hang out. I'm so glad that you came here today. <laughs> I'm so and glad you're fine and you're you're all good and we can I'm do good. this. I'm good. I'm going to New York good. tomorrow. I am heading awesome. to New York. My nephew is in his first off-Broadway play, nice. uh, a play written by Jody Picoult and her daughter. And so my I couldn't go when my family went, so my brother's coming over here from Miami, and we're flying up to New York for the weekend to see him. That's so great. I'm excited. I know. I know. Come back and you know, come back anytime you want to talk to rob or anybody else you let me know who's on schedule and, and uh, i'll interrogate them muchas gracias <laughs> mi amigo muchas gracias a ti <laughs> have a great day thank you you too see you later cheers